All right. Well, we're kind of between series. We finished Second Thessalonians. I'm thinking of starting Colossians soon, but uh, this morning we're in the Old Testament. So turn, please, to Psalms. Turn, please, to Psalms, book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 13. And that's what I'll read this morning from God's word. For the choir director, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. In this psalm, David encounters trouble, deep turmoil, dark times, and he asks God, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long until this is over, this trouble that you've uh, put me in? Uh, how long is a child's question? How long until we get there? Um, how long until this is over? Children are f- famous for asking, are we there yet? Um, how long? Um, it's, a, it's a child's question, and especially when it's asked repeatedly, as David does. Here, he asked it not once, but I think four times in this uh, uh, passage. And uh, children are known for asking that question or questions like it, how long? And children are known for being impatient. If you go on a long road trip with a child, they might ask you a question like this a hundred times. How long until we get there? Uh, if you go on a long road trip with an adult, they might ask you a question like this one time. How long until we get there? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, and if they do, they're not going to ask you repeatedly that uh, question. But David starts with this question. That's his response to difficult times. How long? Oh, Lord. And they ask him a bunch of times. How long? How long until this has changed? How, how long uh, until uh, you intervene uh, in this? Now, let me, let me ask you an easy question to start out with. Let your eyes scan down this psalm. I've already read it. Uh, it starts with the questions, how long? And, and that kind of sets the mood, kind of a mood of desperation, you might say as David uh, asked this question to uh, the Lord. Now, as the psalm progresses, and it's a short psalm, it's a short psalm, so you should be able to kind of let your eye scan, does the mood or the atmosphere get less or more calm, composed, uh, reserved, uh, resigned as it goes? Uh, And I think the answer is pretty easy to say. Uh, It starts out, Turbulent, and as the, as the psalm is written here, it uh, uh, at the end becomes more calm and reposed. It starts out in a storm cloud, where he's asking these questions uh, to the Lord, and uh, the end is a still calm. There's a clear sky. It's like the clouds have uh, parted. I've trusted in your loving kindness. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And so the psalm follows an easy outline. We're going to follow it. First two verses is the complaint. How long? Those are all those questions. Uh, verses three and four is a request 
for God to intervene and change the situation. But five, verse 5 and 6, the last part, it's a, it's a wonderful confession of faith and kind of a calm confession of faith uh, as well. So that, that's the easier question. It gets calmer uh, as the psalm goes. Let me ask you a harder, uh, a harder question. And that is, when you encounter difficulty like cancer or pain or trouble in your marriage or divorce or the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or troubled times, all kinds of difficulties, uh, is the turbulent question, how long, O Lord, prayed to God, when you enter into that uh, turmoil, is that something you should be growing out of as you mature in Christ? Or is that something that you should be growing into? In other words, going into that situation and then that response, how long, oh Lord? And that persistent question, is that a sign of immaturity to be asking that question as soon as you run into trouble as a Christian? Or is that uh, a sign of maturity? That's a, that's a harder question, a much harder question to think about. Uh, Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Which means long-suffering, long-suffering. And should that or should it not be reflected in the way that we pray towards uh, God? The Holy Spirit prays with you even when we don't know how to pray. And so when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit quiet this question or does he amplify it? Does he make this question quieter when you run into trouble or does he make it louder? Does he, is he, uh, the one who pours out the spirit of prayer that asks this question? How long, O Lord? This question, how long, O Lord, when David runs into difficulty, did David ask this question when his faith was weak? And because his faith was weak, um, and so in an honest moment, he poured out his heart toward God and then included that portrait in his prayer warts and all for uh, posterity uh, to see? Or did David pray this prayer running into trouble and immediately asking how long, O Lord, when his faith was strong? And because his faith was strong, and so this question is not a wart, uh, but uh, in God's eyes, David's best feature, that he ran into trouble and prayed this prayer. Is this question, how long, O Lord, when you run into trouble, is this the prayer of a child of God who forgets himself, forgets that he's a child of God for a moment, forgets God's sovereignty for a moment? Or is this a prayer prayed, how long, O oh Lord, when you run into trial because you understand and accept God's uh, sovereignty? So what's the message of this psalm? What's, what's the takeaway from this psalm, uh, Psalm 13? Is the message of this psalm that if you ever find yourself praying, how long, O Lord, this is how to calm down and stop praying that prayer? Or the me- is the message of this psalm that you ought to be praying like this? That if this isn't your response, how long, O Lord, when you run into trouble, then you need to start praying like this. Well, let's look. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult question, but uh, let's look uh, through this passage and let's look through uh, verse by verse, and it starts with a complaint. In fact, it starts with this question that we've been talking about. How long? How long, O oh Lord? Um, and you can tell exactly what kind of situation David is in, that he's asking, how long is this situation going to continue? Because he asks all about it and describes it. And he describes it in terms of three parties, you might say, or three persons, three uh, entities. 
He describes it in terms of his enemy, describes it in terms of himself, and he describes it in terms of his God. That's the situation that he finds himself in. He's asking how long it's going to be uh, continued. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. He faces it and asks the Lord about it and asks him how long it's going to be, uh, how long it will continue. Uh, the enemy, what's the enemy doing in this situation? Well, the enemy is triumphing over him. You can see that at the end. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? What is he himself doing in this situation? Well, he's uh, putting counsel in his soul with sorrow in his heart all the day long. And that's what you do when your enemy triumphs over you. You tend to worry. Um, you tend to be taking all kinds of counsels in your souls. And it's not making you happy. It's making you sorrowful in your heart. Uh, all the day long. And what is God doing in this situation? Well, David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And how long will you hide your face from me? So the enemy's triumphing over him. David's having a lot of thoughts that are uh, causing him sorrow. And he says about God, you're forgetting me and you're turning your face uh, away from me. And he's asking the Lord, how long is this going to continue? And as he does it, he faces his darkest, the darkest fear of his soul. That is that not only his enemy is uh, triumphing over him, but it seems that God has become his enemy too. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face uh, from me? And so that's the question that he asks uh, to God. And, and my bigger question is, is that a question that honors God? Is that a question that honors God, that you run into a difficulty where your enemy is triumphing over you? And the first thing on your lips is, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long, O Lord, will you turn your face away from me? Is that a, is that a prayer that honors uh, the Lord? And I'll just give it away here. I think it does. I think it does. I think it's a prayer that honors uh, the Lord. Does God forget? Does God, that's what David, that's the first thing David's praying about. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Does God forget? Does that mean anything? Because if he doesn't, then the psalmist is asking God about an absurdity. Uh, and he's just confused. He thinks that God might uh, uh, forget. Um, and so you might say, well, aside from whatever, if God doesn't, if that's a meaningless term, uh, and David is asking God, how long before you forget, then aside from whatever benefit comes from just being honest with God, David's wasting his time. By praying this prayer about God forgetting and asking how God how long it will be before he remembers again. So does God forget? Does God forget? Hmm, that's a difficult question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this question? Well, the Bible certainly says that God remembers. That God remembers. That's an important thing about God that's taught in Scripture. For example, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. This is one of the kind of classic passages uh, on this, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice uh, of them. God remembered when their cry comes up uh, before them. And so God hears in this passage something very much like a prayer, a sigh, a groan uh, in their bondage. And he suddenly acts differently than he's been acting for the past 400 years for them when they've been um, in uh, a bondage 
in Egypt and he acts to save the righteous. He acts to, to save his people, rescue them, and also to punish uh, the, the, uh, the wicked. And so remembering, God remembering the things that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob is a prelude to God acting, acting suddenly, acting differently than he's acted in the past. And so the idea of God forgetting or God remembering is not an absurdity um, or a confusion. The idea that God remembers or even the idea that God, there's a sense in which God uh, uh, forgets. It means something. And so here I think it's wise for us to, and I, I know this term has been used about other things recently, but it's wise for us in this, in this um, business of God forgetting and God remembering to take God seriously, but not literally. Seriously, but not literally in his forgetting and uh, remembering. Not literally. Not literally. Uh, God is not in heaven a forgetful, doddering old man in the sky who has dementia or Alzheimer's and forgets things and then uh, has to remember them uh, again. That would be to take it literally, and that would be a foolish thing to do. God is not like that at all. God is the opposite uh, of that. Uh, God does not forget in that way, uh, uh, literally. Well, if he doesn't forget literally, why does he talk about himself this way, of remembering and forgetting? And why uh, does he expect for us to take it seriously in some way. Well, let me give you two reasons that I think both are, are good reasons why God speaks of himself in terms of remembering and in terms of forgetting. And he's even honored when we pray in those terms, run into trouble and say, Lord, how long will you forget me? Uh, one reason why God speaks this way and wants us to take him seriously is because God suddenly reverses himself. God wants you to know that about him. That's important about him. Uh, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform behind a frowning providence toward his people. He hides a smiling face and there's sudden uh, reversals. That's a useful thing to know about God. Very useful to know about God. It's useful for the wicked who are sinning and they're getting away with it. And they think, well, this is how it's been. This is how it's always going to be. And what does the Bible say about them? They're storing up wrath like a reservoir behind a dam. And suddenly it's going to break and it's going to be a catastrophic break as God remembers uh, their sins, which he seems to be uh, forgetting. Uh, and it's also useful for the righteous who are, are suffering, who are experiencing pain. And, and uh, the, the message of scripture is this is not forever. God is going to remember he's going to suddenly reverse himself uh, in that way. So it's something important about God, this business of remembering and forgetting something you need to know is it's not when you look at God, it's not what you see is what you get. What you see now is what he's going to be doing forever. No, God makes sudden U-turns. And it's important for us to know that about God if we're to walk by faith and not by sight. But perhaps even more important than that, God speaks of himself as forgetting and remembering and wants you to take that seriously and not just just uh, forget it, uh, put it away somewhere and, and not and not worry about it. God speaks of himself as remembering and forgetting because God wants to relate to you as a father to a child. And he wants you to relate to him as a child to uh, a father. And because God wants to be reminded by his children of the promises that he has made uh, to us. Uh, God wants you to see that he's forgotten according to what you're, you're seeing, according to what you're experiencing, and then come and ask him to remember, like a child coming and asking his father 
to, uh, to, to remember. If you don't take God seriously, what he says about himself, forgetting and remembering and say, well, I, 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 that's, that's silly talk. I'm not going to think of God in that way uh, at all. Don't congratulate yourself for having a high view of God by dismissing that kind of, of, of talk. Because what you're saying is, I don't want to know you as a child, God. I want to know you maybe as a student who's studying some sort of phenomena. Um, I want you to approach you like a, like a colleague, like a peer. That's why I don't have any time for those kinds of uh, terms. The Lord says, no, I want you to come to me as a child. I want you to remind me of things as if I've forgotten of those, those things. Who knows a man best? His, his business partners that he's always serious with and accomplishing business and, and interacting with them as uh, peers and colleagues or his child that he plays pretend with and uh, expresses the, his heart uh, of love towards that uh, child. That's what God is doing when he sends you trials. He's pretending to forget for a moment, to test you, uh, to try you, but also to show you what's in his heart. And so you come and to remind him, uh, Lord, you, it seems you've forgotten. I want you to remember me and come and ask him, how long, how long will you uh, forget me? God says, I've chosen that if you don't know me as a child and on the level of a child, then you won't know me at all. And so God stoops down to be known by us in terms of his remembering and in terms of uh, uh, forgetting the prayer. God, how long will you forget me is a prayer that our father loves to hear when it comes from uh, his child. And so when you get into trouble as a child of God, when you get into turmoil of any kind, large or small, this prayer, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever, is not a prayer that you grow out of as you grow in maturity in Christ. This is a prayer that you're growing into because it's a prayer that children pray to uh, to a father. Um, I know that uh, it's, it's not a sinful prayer, even a prayer that comes out of weakness. Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, and I won't uh, turn there, but the souls under the altar... Um, who are saved, uh, people who have died, um, pray, how long? How long, O oh Lord? How long before the troubles that we've experienced on this earth are vindicated in, uh, on, uh, on the earth? And uh, these are souls that are removed not only from the penalty of sin, like we are, and from the power of sin, like we are with, a, we've been set free from sin, but they're also removed from the presence of sin. And they're still praying this prayer. They're perfect. They're the souls of righteous men made perfect. And they're not praying this how long prayer out of uh, weakness. How long will you forget? How long will you seem to forget our cause? But they're praying it out of righteousness. They're praying it out of maturity. In fact, they're praying it out of perfection. So do you pray this prayer? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Is it going to be forever? How, when's it going to be? When's it going to be when you uh, remember me? Do you pray this prayer whenever you uh, get into trouble? Or if you pray at all when you get into trouble, is your prayer very unlike this prayer? Is your prayer only, Lord, help me to resign myself to this trouble. Help me to care about it less. Maybe I shouldn't care about this at all. Help me not to notice. Help me to lower my expectations of your grace and your goodness uh, towards me. This is a prayer that honors the Lord. It's a, it's a child's prayer to the Lord. And it's a prayer that magnifies his grace and his goodness. How long, O oh Lord, 
Will you forget me forever? The same soul that cries out to God, how long? In trouble, that's the first response. Also is the same soul that asks God to intervene in that uh, difficulty as well. And so uh, we have the complaint in verse one and two, which is how long? It's followed by a request for God to intervene in verse three and four. Consider, actually a better translation would be, look, look, look and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. So the first is how long? It's, just, it's kind of a complaint. It's like, Lord, hurry up. Uh, how long? Um, the second is a request for uh, the Lord. And the first request for the Lord is, look, look. Uh, one of the complaints that David made in verse one is that the Lord's face is turned away from him. How long will you hide your face from me? And so uh, in this portion, verse three, David prays for the Lord to look at his situation, which means turning his face uh, towards him. And of course, the Lord's um, face is his blessing. It's his blessing. It's uh, like the um, blessing that the priests were to pronounce over the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you uh, peace. Uh, in, in, in the situation that David's in, David has observed reality. That is, his enemy is triumphing over him. And God's face is of blessing because of that is turned away from him. And so the, the request to the Lord is look, look to reverse the, uh, to reverse the situation. Lord, look, look, Answer me, answer my, my request. How long, uh, O Lord? And enlighten my eyes. And so David is praying not only that he would see the Lord's face of, uh, blessing, but also his own eyes would be enlightened, uh, as well. In other words, the worry that's, uh, troubling him would also be, uh, uh, removed. That's the request. And, uh, he follows it with a series of consequences if the Lord fails to look and answer his prayer and enlighten his eyes. Consider me, O Lord, my God, enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. And he's talking not just about uh, death, but about defeat. His enemies ultimately triumphing over him. And he's saying, Lord, if you don't look at me, if you don't reverse this situation, my enemies are going to triumph and death is going to have not, not just to die, but death is going to have the final say uh, as an enemy. Uh, over uh, me. Well, the same soul that cries out to God, how long in trouble? That's the complaint of verse one and two is also the same soul that asks God to intervene. That's the request in verse uh, three and four. And it's also the same soul that is resting in God's sovereignty. It's the same, same person, same soul, same resting in God's sovereignty for every part of this uh, psalm. And so in uh, verses five and six, we have this wonderful confession of faith. Verse five and six. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This, this is a great confession of faith. You might expect David to say, I have trusted in your sovereignty. 
I've trusted in your sovereignty. In fact, I think this whole psalm is a great um, expression of what it means to trust in God's sovereignty. And so I think that would have been fine for David uh, to say that. I think that would have communicated very well for David to say that. But I've trusted in your sovereignty. That's a great description of uh, David. But he says this, I've trusted in your loving kindness. I've trusted in your loving kindness. To rest in God's sovereignty, to trust in God's sovereignty, is not to rest in and trust in the idea of sovereignty. That someone is in charge, he has a plan that's good for him, and good for his glory to the last detail. And whether each part of that plan is good for me or not, uh, I don't know. I don't know whether it is or not. No, that's not what it means to rest in God's sovereignty. To rest in God's sovereignty is to rest in God's sovereignty. The God that you know, who's revealed himself to be your father in Christ. And so to rest in God's sovereignty is to rest in the loving kindness of God. It means the same thing, just different aspects of the same thing. I've trusted in your loving kindness, not only that you're in control of everything down to the very last detail, but that your disposition towards me is one of almost unimaginable loving kindness. I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. David's thinking about salvation as he's thinking about the Lord and resting in the Lord. And what does God's salvation entail for us, for the child of God? Not just that you're going to suffer here for a while in a way that makes very little sense, suffer various things, and then pretty soon maybe someday that'll be over. And what you have after that will be far better than that. Um, that that's tr- all true. And that's one way of looking at God's salvation. But his salvation actually is something more than that. His salvation means something more than that for the child of God. And that is that evil towards you, all evil, works for good. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. And so when David's heart is rejoicing in God's salvation, that's what he's thinking about, the way that he saves. And the reason why the most evil things work together for good for his children is because of the death and resurrection of Christ. And that speaks of all of God's ways. The things that work death to you work life for the child of God because they're all related to the death and the resurrection of Christ that accomplished salvation. In fact, if you doubt that evil works together for good, I I would like you to think of the most evil thing that's ever been done on this earth. That's when the hands of wicked men cruelly put Christ, the Son of God, on a cross. That's the most wicked thing that's ever happened. And there's a lot of wicked things that happen in this world, a lot of ways in which people are truly victimized by others um, as well, as well as being sinners uh, themselves. But the most evil thing by far is that. And the greatest good came out of that. It was God's predetermined plan that the greatest evil accomplished the greatest good. And that's true of the smallest and the greatest evil that comes upon you. And God cares about them all. He cares about uh, them all. It's true of the smallest and uh, the greatest. It's not only just to be endured in a kind of senseless way for a while and then replaced by something better. No, that evil is something that is working together for your uh, good. What about evils that um, are tainted by your own sin in some way? So there's an evil coming up upon you. Um, but there's also a sense in which what you did brought that uh, upon you. 
Well, certainly that would just be a waste, right? Uh, there's no way in which that evil would work together for good uh, for you. Well, let me say this. If you're, if you're waiting for an evil that is untainted by anything wrong that you've done in order to work together for good, you'll be waiting for a long time uh, for that evil because the, the sin that we have taints to lesser and greater degrees everything uh, that comes upon us, every, everything that we've uh, responded to. No, it's all things. God causes all things, all evils that come upon you to work together for your good in uh, the end. So uh, let me let me try to put together these uh, the two ends of these uh, uh, psalms, and I suppose I see it not so much as a progression, but as a loop. It's only someone who's resting in God's loving kindness, trusting in His loving kindness, whose heart is rejoicing in God's salvation that prays when difficult things come upon them as their first response, how long, O Lord? Why? Because they're expecting those evil things to work together for good in some way. Don't know how. Don't know how. And you're saying, how long? I'm expecting this evil to work for my good. It's going to happen. When's it going to happen, Lord? How long is it going to take for this to happen because I'm expecting it? We sang in our uh, hymn just now, um, number 541, which goes through this psalm. It says, but I with expectation have on thy grace relied. That's what, that's what the psalmist is doing actually throughout this psalm is relying on God's grace with expectation, expecting the evil to work for good. And that's actually at the heart of this question uh, at the beginning. It's not an impatience uh, before God. It's actually a faith. It's actually uh, an expectation. How long until you do what you've promised, Lord? Remember what you've promised because you've promised that every evil that comes upon me is to work towards good. And so to rest in God's sovereignty is not to be when evil comes upon you to simply just be resigned to it um, or to be detached from from it so that it hurts less as sort of an, as an anesthetic. God is not teaching you through it to care less about whatever it is that is causing you pain or teaching you that it, it really doesn't matter uh, anyway. No, to rest in God's sovereignty is to expect whatever's causing you pain, whatever's evil to be uh, uh, something that the Lord turns towards your good and causes you not just to endure it and then be done with it, but to actually have victory and triumph in the midst of it. Well, you might say, well, didn't Jesus pray, not my will, but thy will be done? So shouldn't that be our response when uh, uh, difficulties uh, come? Well, yes, Jesus prayed that way and we're to pray uh, in that way as well, because we don't know how God is going to turn the evil towards us for good. And so we give our best idea as to how, and then we say, well, that might, that might not be the way how. Not my will, but thy will be done. But it's never in question whether the evil is going to be worked towards good. And, and even the Lord Jesus Christ, as he prayed that prayer, not my will, uh, not my will, but thine uh, be done, was not saying, well, maybe Father, this evil is going to come upon me and it's just going to be the last word or it's just going to be a senseless uh, thing that makes uh, no sense. He was saying, Lord, the evil that comes upon me, I, I wish that it would come upon me and not take me through death. That would be my will. Uh, it, and it may be another way that you bring good uh, out of this. If so, your will be done and not mine. But he's not questioning whether uh, the Lord, the Father was going to bring him through this trouble and cause it to work all towards his good and for the Father's glory. What about Paul? 
What about the Apostle Paul? Hadn't he learned the secret of contentment? And wasn't that a, isn't that a secret about being detached from your circumstances and not caring uh, about them? Paul wasn't asking this question, how long was he? Well, look at Philippians. I'll read you one passage in Philippians and then another, this great uh, letter. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul learns uh, the secret of contentment with pain, with difficulty, with poverty, with lack, and also with uh, uh, plenty as well. How? How was Paul content in the midst of bad circumstances? By telling himself that the bad circumstances don't matter? No, look at, look at how, he, uh, how he dealt with uh, difficult circumstances. He talks about a difficult circumstance in uh, chapter 1. Him being in prison and people doing things that seem to be designed to uh, help him and actually are meant to rub salt into the wound and make his uh, difficulty worse. And he says, yes, I will rejoice in this, for I know that this, this difficulty, this trial, will turn out for my deliverance. Not that this doesn't matter, he says, or something that God doesn't care about and I shouldn't care about anyway. No, this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. How it's going to happen, I don't know. Maybe by my life, maybe by, by my death, but I'm convinced that every evil thing that comes upon me is going to turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. And prayers like this, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? That's part of the secret of Paul's uh, contentment. Paul didn't learn um, detachment. He learned to pray this prayer, how long, O oh Lord? And he learned to expect God to turn the evil into good. Well, let's look at the last verse of this uh, psalm, of this wonderful psalm, Psalm uh, 13. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully. He has dealt bountifully with me. And that uh, dealt bountifully, is a, it's a great word in Hebrew. It's the word gamal. Um, the name Gamaliel comes from this word. Remember a rabbi Gamaliel? In the, in the New Testament. But you can know it's a great word if parents use the word to name their child uh, after this Hebrew word. Um, Gamaliel means something like, God is my recompense. God is my recompense. Um, Gamal means, it, it's often translated to grant, but it also means to, to make a completion and to make a completion with bounty. And so that's what's put uh, here. I will sing to the Lord because he has Gamal with me. He has completed something uh, with me and completed it in such a way with bounty. And so it's a word that's used of a, of a crop ripening into a harvest. Um, it's also used of a weaned child who's been completed <laughs> with a bounty, uh, uh, so to speak. But it's used here for what God does in salvation. He causes evil to work together for good. And in that way makes a completion with uh, uh, a bounty. Uh, 
And so that, that term is used here for what God is doing in making every evil work together for good. And that's what we're to expect from the Lord is the, is for him to deal bountifully uh, with us. And so David says, I'm singing this song to the Lord. I know that he's dealing bountifully for, for me. And that song of faith in the Lord dealing bountifully for him is also the song that asks how long, how long when trouble comes. It's the same song. It's not a different song. It's the very same song when uh, trouble comes. So if you're not singing this song, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me, trusting in the Lord, expecting him to do this. Then you won't make this your prayer in time of trouble. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will your face hide your face from me? It comes from this expectation of the Lord dealing bountifully with you, which is what he's promised uh, to do. So in conclusion, in conclusion, what does it mean to rest in God's sovereignty? Does it mean to be detached, learn to be detached from the things that uh, bother you? Does it, learn to, does it mean to learn to care less about these things? No, God cares about them. He cares very much about all of them. He wants to be glorified in all of them. No, it means to rest in God's sovereignty, to expect evil to work for good. And so when you encounter dark times, you should be asking this question. If you're resting in God's sovereignty, how long, uh, O oh Lord? Uh, we should be praying this for one another. How long is my brother going to be suffering this thing? How long before you remember my brother or my sister who's going through this uh, uh, difficulty? Has God given you a great deal of trials recently? Have you, has he given you a great deal of difficulties? Or has he plunged all of us into difficult times? Why is he doing this? He's not pushing you away from him, although he might be seeming to do that, seeming to do that for a time. No, he's actually calling you closer to him. He's calling you to come closer to him as his child, asking him how long, how long, O oh Lord, before you put an end to this uh, situation. And he's uh, asking you to come close to him and to learn of his loving kindness. And he's calling you into a closer relationship with him, not just for yourself, but for others for others uh, as well. God is not only wanting you to understand his grace, his dealing bountifully with you, his uh, loving kindness, but he's also making you this way too. So that you have loving kindness, like he has loving kindness, so that you deal bountifully with others, just like God uh, deals bountifully for you. And so when the trials come in your life, it's not just to teach you about God's character is to make you to be a blessing uh, to others uh, as well. So may God teach us not to grow out of this prayer, how long, O oh Lord, when trials come, but to grow into it, relying on the expectation of God's sovereign grace to you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you rule in everything from the greatest to the least, from the greatest difficulties that we're all going through to the smallest difficulty that only uh, one soul uh, knows about. And that you're, you've promised to save by making all these uh, messengers of death to be messengers of life uh, towards us. 
And so we pray that as we encounter these things that we might not um, dismiss them as things that don't matter, but that they might drive us to prayer as your child saying, Lord, how long? How long will you um, forget me? How long before you remove this in such a way that shows your grace uh, towards me? We pray that we might be expecting of your uh, sovereign grace and loving kindness in this way, resting in it and singing of your character and being changed by your character as well, so that we are those who reach out to others with loving kindness and deal bountifully with others just as you've dealt bountifully with us. We thank you for this and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.